Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. This week, Dragon Rider by Cornelia Funka. Whoosh! Sound of a dragon leaping into flight. That was the sound of the wind going by your ears as you ride the dragon, Grace. Sorry. Excuse me, I shouldn't try to define your sound effects, and I, I never will again. <laughs> This book was a listener request from Debbie. Thank you so much, Debbie, for requesting this wonderful book. If anyone else has a request for a book that is important to them and they would like for us to cover, just send us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. This book was published in Germany in German in 1997. It was first translated into English in 2000 and then in, and I believe that edition was released in the UK and then in 2004 translated again and published by Scholastic in the US. And that is the version that we are familiar with and that we have read. We did not read it in the original German. That's, That's interesting. I didn't realize that it came from German. It's, I think it's a great translation same as the thief lord all of her books are written in german okay well that i know it's not that hard to translate competently from german to english but i didn't i didn't think well i've never done it (laughs) oh my goodness i don't mean that it's not a a useful and great skill on the part of our translators i'm just saying you know sometimes you read a book and you're like uh this translation is definitely losing some stuff didn't feel at all like that with these books So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before or you'd like to revisit it, scamper off and do that and then come right back. Scamper. Before we discuss the book, we will break down how the publisher chose to package and promote our edition. Uh, First of all, I think we'll probably be mentioning this quite a few times, but Madeline discovered that the Audible audiobook was narrated by Brendan Fraser. Super fun. It's and a super fun audiobook. It's it's great. <laughs> he does a really good job. Um, I listened to some of it, even he, though I'm not an audiobook person, just because I wanted to experience that. Honestly, it's probably the most fun audiobook I've listened to, which makes sense since wow. this book is more targeted towards children, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, than, and it's such an adventure story. Right. But he is a really, really good voice actor. Um, I told everyone I spoke to while I was listening to this book, which is maybe five people, that Brendan Fraser should... Uh, Go into voice acting yeah. that like his, especially a lot of the voices from SpongeBob in Adventure mm. Time, his mm. voice reminded me of like he just has a lot of goofy range, yeah. which is his super like voice. I yes, was obsessed with I know. in particular, yes. but his sorrel voice was really good, too. He does a mean Scottish accent. It was, it was great. Yeah, I was very impressed. That can be his reconnaissance. Yes, that's what I want him to do. I said to Nick and to you that he should two do two people. He should do a Mark Hamill. No, I said it to two of my work friends also. So four, not five. That he should do a Mark Hamill and go into voice acting late in his career. So Madeline will describe the Audible cover, um, and there are many, many different covers available for this book, um, but they all have a pretty unifying trend of being very colorful, um, being somewhat cartoony, and in general depicting a dragon in flight with some creatures on his back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The one that I read, I like it better than the other version that Grace just showed me. Um, It's got... 
it it looks like it's maybe drawn. I don't know. This is probably at least somewhat digital, like in its composition. Um, but it it looks a lot more natural. It looks a lot more magical, less computer generated mm-hmm. um, than the one that you showed me. And it, there is the what looks like a cat. Uh, which must be Sorrel. I've seen a lot of different depictions <laughs> of Sorrel that range widely. Some Actually, are just straight up cats. And I'm sorry, the the images that Audible uses are really low res for the covers. But um, if you zoom in on it, and you get this really blurry <laughs> image. It looks like Keaton from Ocarina of Time and uh, Majora's <laughs> Mask as well. You could get the Keaton mask. The I think. Pikachu mask. Essentially, yeah, but they call it the Keaton. No, mask. I know, but it's I'm a just fox mask, for, right? For those for whom the word Keaton <laughs> immediately Keaton Grace. <laughs> I'm just saying a slightly more recognizable character. I used to think that Keaton actually was like some sort of uh, Japanese uh, fox demon of lore, but it's actually just I, I looked it up, and I'm pretty just sure it's invented. just a made up, yeah, for Zelda. But it does use that fox imagery, anyways. And then we've also got Ben. Um, clinging to uh, the uh, dragon's um, like neck spikes. Spines. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the dragon's wings are also really cool because they're very bony. They're skeletal. Yeah, you can see the bones in them, um, kind of like a bat. And a, a lot of times dragon's wings are depicted as less translucent, more of like skin and scales. Mm-hmm. Um, the dragon looks... So cute. Firebeard. Uh, I don't know why you haven't named him. Sorry, Firebeard. Firebeard kind of reminds me of my dog a little bit in this picture because he's got his little his little feet up and he looks just kind of like, ooh. I think we also both have that problem, though, where we think that any cute thing <laughs> looks like our pets. Because I'll be the first to say that if I see anything cute, it doesn't even need to be an animal. I say that reminds me of my cat. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Um and then it says Cornelia Funka at the top. And uh, there is that huge blood moon um, that precedes the eclipse behind yeah. Firebeard. Um, they're flying over some mountains. There's a beautiful starry background. And then it says, like, right underneath Dragon Rider. It almost Rider. looks like it says by Brendan I know! <laughs> Like by Brendan Fraser, but clearly, I think that those words are just too like. Well, and Cornelia's name by. is at the top, so right, yeah, right, right, right. Problem, it is, but it looks like he has a lot of involvement. Right, <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's like the co-author or something. Yeah. Which and you clearly know they made this specifically for the audiobook, which is cool too. I like yes. the idea of audiobooks having their own covers because I think it makes sense to represent the story. Yeah, because it's a very different way of yeah. of taking in. Mm-hmm. A book. Um, so yeah, exactly like you're saying. It's great that they recognize that. Um, and uh, yeah, just much applause to uh, Mr. Frazier for really, really doing a, a bang up job with his audiobook. If there's any chance that Brendan Frazier listens to our podcast. I just wanted to say that I appreciate you. I'm um, sure he does. And my boyfriend need to wonder. loves you. You are his favorite actor. <laughs> <laughs> I also hope we're not mispronouncing his name. I think at the beginning of the audiobook he said by Brendan Fraser, like the Scottish way of saying it. Like instead of like phrase, an outlander? Phrase, right, like an outlander. Yep. Oh, shoot. Fraser. And like I mentioned, the uh, 
ebook that I read has a much more uh, cartoony cover that, yeah. as Madeline mentioned, looks just ready-made for its Pixar movie. Um, unfortunately, there was an animated adaptation made of this book that just came out that looks bad. Brutal. <laughs> but it was released in theaters during a global pandemic, so I don't know if anyone has seen it. Um, let us know, I guess. Yeah, well, okay. It here's... looks made for young children as well. Yes, yeah. It looks like the kind of thing Isa would watch, and Isa mm-hmm. is five five. yeah Yeah. um and i was actually kind of surprised i thought that from this audiobook when grace said an animated movie just came out to me this morning i was like oh did brendan fraser do a bunch of the voices because (laughs) i was like that would be amazing if it ain't broke (laughs) be amazing (laughs) dragon rider coming soon every character voiced by brendan fraser a uh, Brendan Fraser Palooza. <laughs> Brendan Fraser production. <laughs> Just be like in Fateful Findings where every single company was. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Ooh. I would watch that. Um, and the reason we're talking about the covers from more contemporary editions is because although we were a little confused and thought that maybe I thought too, both Madeline and I thought that maybe we had read this when we were younger. Yeah. Um, we did not. No, I I'm, was, I'm thinking of something else. I was confusing this series with Cornelia Funke's Ink Spell series, which I did read. It's not called Ink Spell, is it? I think it's called Ink um, Heart. Ink, ink Heart. Inkheart, I think that's right. And uh, um, I was thinking of Inkheart as the Spiderwick Chronicles, which is not by, that's a different thing completely. Okay, so we thought maybe it was Inkheart and then (laughs) maybe the Spiderwick Chronicles, but here we are, we know what it is, we have read it, (laughs) we're on the same page. But it's one of those things where you get easily confused when you're thinking back on these like fuzzy memories of books that you once read, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you are wrong. And you know what? Pleasantly so in this case, because this book was a delight. Absolutely a delight. A romp, as Madeline would stamp it with her approval. It is a romp. It reminded me of the Unicorn Chronicles, only Mm -hmm. much more expanded and meatier. Like the world building in this is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yet kind of weirdly superficial at times it's i feel like yeah it's an interesting book because there's so much discussed it's very long mm-hmm. um longer than you know the first few harry potter books yeah um i don't know why i'm measuring <laughs> book length in terms of that but well, when i think of children when i think of, of longer longest, children's books yeah i think of like the red wall books and i think of harry potter yeah um and that's because there is so much description given to everything and they the main characters go on a journey across two continents. Mm-hmm. So of course we we have a lot to cover, but at the same time there's like surprisingly little that we learn about the larger lore behind dragons and why they exist the way that they do in this version of our world. Yeah, and to be honest though, I mean I didn't find it superficial to a fault. No, I agree. For me, the the superficiality worked because this takes place in a modern human Mm -hmm. world, which was super interesting. And they tell you that right at the beginning, which I appreciated because I thought I was going to have a hard time 
orienting in what kind of reality this story takes place, but they really just kind of go through it and be like, yep, they've got cars, they've got, they can build dams. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, okay, this is modern humans. Um, So it felt a bit red wall to me in the way that the different um, non-human... The fabulous creatures. Right. The non-human societies and cultures are very piecemeal because they have to be kind of in hiding. From the humans. Yeah, I I enjoyed that piece of this world as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's use that to lead into the plot summary. Take us away, Grace. This book was like 600 pages. (laughs) Said a lot happens. So I am going to be relatively brief in this summary. I I think that's Um, good. This book begins by being about a dragon, but it becomes about a human boy. Yeah. Um, Fire Drake and Sorrel are a dragon and a brownie, respectively. Um, this is a form of brownie that I don't know if I've seen before, but we'll talk more about that in animals, just like animals in this book. Although I'm sure Sora would be furious if I yeah. described her as an animal. Because she's um, a, f- a fantastic, a fantabulous? A fabulous creature. A fantabulous That's what they call creature. Um, fantasy creatures okay. in this book. Um, and humans are expanding into the valley where Fire Drake and his cohort of dragons live. Humans get a human, am I right? Because they're building a dam and they're going to flood it. Um, so the other dragons are like, we'll hide, we'll sleep, no one will find us. And Fire Drake is like, I'm no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Dragons are in trouble. Yeah. They are a dying species and there are very few of them left. There's it reminded me of the borrowers is what I was going to say. They remind me of panda bears. Oh God. <laughs> because it's like panda bears are really sweet. Everyone loves them. Like they're, yeah. you know, happy. But they're large and bump. they need a lot of space. They're large, need a lot of space and getting them to carry on their own species existence is really difficult. A panda baby was just born in captivity. I was listening to a story about it on KOW. I'd, sometimes when I'm in a bad mood, I just watch YouTube videos of panda does messing with the people trying to clean their enclosures because they're like just these big bumbling like kittens basically they're very funny yeah go ahead controversial opinion pandas cute pandas uh i'm I'm gonna go ahead and say they're they're pretty cute okay we're already comes the hate mail (laughs) (laughs) we've said a lot on this podcast but now we're getting down and dirty um, so Fire Drake sets off to attempt to find the Dragon Kingdom, the source of the dragons, where they once came from, something called the Rim of Heaven. Yeah. And in order to find that, he heads toward the nearest big town because a rat tells him that her cousin lives there and that he has maps. Yeah, the <laughs> I'm glad that there's a rat at the beginning because she really brings the red wall frame mm-hmm. uh, in. There are a lot of rats in this book. And in a book filled with a wide range of fantasy creatures, the rats hold their own. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, I was reminded of um, a series of books that I love um, that are about a mouse called Hermux Tantamok. Oh, um, Time Stops for No Mouse? Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, which are really, really good. Oh, we should do one of those. They're yeah they're they're not YA fantasy, um, they I wouldn't even call them fantasy yeah and then they're written for older readers and they're a little more 
steampunk than fantasy yes. maybe <laughs> i would classify them as steampunk yeah. definitely yeah. steampunk but with talking animals great books though we'll, we'll put links to to them on our website indeed with this episode dragonbabiespodcast.com so they go from they're somewhere in scotland as far as i can tell and they go to what i figured out was hamburg um the German city because of the series of canals. I'm pretty oh, sure that's okay. where I was like, how did you figure out what city they were in? I, well, I knew they were in Germany and then a lot of talk about the canals. And there's not a lot of canal cities in Germany. There aren't a ton of prominent ones and they keep talking okay. about what a big city it is. Okay, so, so yeah, that, I think that's, that's a right. good guess. Yeah. Um, and I found a cool blog post on Cornelia Funke's site where she kind of tracks the journey that they go on. Oh, cool. Um, we'll put that on the website too. And she does mention Hamburg. Oh, this so book is so I'm fun. Right. This book Am is I pronouncing book. it correctly? What? Hamburg? It, yeah, it's uh, Hamburg. Okay, cool. But I'm in, I'm in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What were you going to say? Um, it's just fun. This book really made me feel like a kid. It's very, <laughs> the magic from that's present in The Thief Lord, I really felt present yeah. here as well, mm-hmm. where you just want to head out on that adventure. It, it's the kind of thing that like... And everyone's an orphan. <laughs> makes me want to take my backpack and then just go into the woods. And I don't know with some dried mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, I don't even need to bring any food. The woods will provide. <laughs> so in Hamburg, they get a wonderful map from the rat cousin that has secrets about where is safe and where is not. <clears throat> but they're still kind of uncertain about where they need to go. More importantly, in Hamburg, they meet a boy. And this is who the book becomes about. Yeah. He is a very mysterious orphan. Yes. His name is Ben. Um, and he is living in an abandoned factory. And we never learn anything about his life. Prior. He just say that he never had a home. He said, I've always been alone. Yeah. So he's. it, it kind of seems like he... At least for my frame, I was like, okay, so he was born to extremely poor parents and he has been basically homeless his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben heads off with them um, because he uh, has nobody and he and Firebeard really develop a strong bond very quickly. Yeah, because it's a pretty sweet deal. Like he doesn't have anything else important going on that he needs, you know, like if a dragon shows up and is like, hey... I'm questing. Like you joined that dragon. Firebeard. His name is Fire Drake. (laughs) It's come to my attention that I've called the main dragon Firebeard. I don't know if I said that earlier. His name is Fire Drake. I think. Sorry. Let's continue. Firebeard sounds like a dwarf's name. What's the What's the dwarf's name? Gravelbeard. Okay, so that's that's what you're doing. Okay, Fire Drake. Yeah, and Ben and Sorrel the brownie um, continue on. They can only fly at night because Fire Drake gets his energy from moonlight and also his basically flying abilities. Like that's something about all dragons in this version of our world. And it has the added bonus that they need to be like not seen. Then they they accidentally head into a yellow patch, a dangerous patch, and run into a bunch of dwarves. I mean... That this this part's pretty um, rough as far as Sorrel's culpability in this whole mess because I mean obviously it's still accidental I mean sure but I was 
mad at her when she refused to accept. I mean, I understand, like, obviously she's not a bad guy and, like, complicated themes here with, like, the enemy and the other and stuff. has some issues with pride. That yeah, cause and with humans. Wrinkles in the plot. Yeah, um, because she doesn't trust humans, like, to a place of bigotry when it comes to Ben. Um, so, which, like, makes sense. Uh, but it's hard when he's telling her like, no, we shouldn't fly into the yellow. We shouldn't fly into the yellow. And then they do. And they like the main conflict force is brought yes. in. Um, probably the most stressful part of the book because the stakes aren't that high. Most of the time, like mm-hmm. they pretty much right. always know the solution ahead of them. And that's also because they're part of a prophecy, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. But they accidentally stumble upon the place where, the golden one Nettlebrand lives and Nettlebrand is a dragon question mark who was created through alchemy. Yeah. Um, and his sole purpose is to hunt dragons because his maker needed dragon horn that he could grind into a powder to make gold. Yeah. Nettlebrand is just like a giant bummer. He's like an evil construct. He's very depressing to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> His only joy is hunting dragons, which he hasn't even been able to do for hundreds right. of years because he thought they all got away from him. And um, he's actually just a, a toad. He is a toad. Uh, so his servant, Twigleg, who is a homunculus, um, goes along with the group to spy on them. The entire book, I could not picture Twigleg as anything other than Pinocchio from Shrek. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's what Um, he looks like to me. I, so it was probably different for me because the book has wonderful illustrations by Cornelia Funke. Well, you Um, also don't live with a person who brings up Shrek once a day. I also have less Shrek exposure, <laughs> I will say. That part of my life is over. <laughs> like, I'm going to make Nick listen to this episode. I'm just going to be like, hey, I called you out like 12 times, oh, so God. you should probably listen. Favorite actor, Brendan <laughs> Fraser. Favorite movie, Shrek. <laughs> so Twigleg heads along with them. I had problems not seeing Sorrel as uh, like a sloth. I don't know. I, I know that she's cat cat looking and they say that she looks like a giant squirrel at one point when she gets captured um but i did have some visualization problems i don't i saw her as like a monkey with long hair (laughs) (laughs) like an arthur character (laughs) that's great that's way better than my visualization So Twigleg sneaks into Ben's backpack and travels along with them so that he can spy on them and figure out where they're going so that Nettlebrand can ultimately hunt them and find the other dragons so that he can kill them. They end up getting into a storm and get swept off um, and end up in Egypt and there they meet up with, meet up with, they run into a group of archaeologists and Twigleg and Sorrel are briefly captured but escape. And they are trying to give Fire Drake a nice place to sleep in a lovely cave, but then the cave has a basilisk in it. Ah! And a professor who seems to be more aware of fabulous creatures than most humans um, ends up saving Fire Drake from the basilisk because he has a mirror that he forces the basilisk basilisk to look into. He too read Harry Potter. 
He did. Uh, Barnabas Greenbloom is his name, and he is, he's been studying fabulous creatures his whole life. He is very aware of their presence in the human, yeah, he's, what is seen as the human's he, world. He definitely wrote his graduate thesis <laughs> on fabulous creatures. Yeah, he did. Um, and so he does his best to give them information about how they might be able to find the rim of heaven. I just, he, he seemed to me like a, a universe linchpin, like the British professor who knows a lot. So he's kind of the, um, shows up and kind of gives the next gives steps the exposition. Yeah. Yeah. So he recommends that they go to see a gin and ask the gin a question, which will be how to find the room. There's a lot of, a rules, lot of rules about, about this gin. Question, which I've, that's pretty typical for gins, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and they do end up um, finding the gin. They ask the question and the gin tells, gives a series of enigmatic clues yeah. <laughs> that will lead them to the rim of heaven. Um, so throughout the book, we're cutting back and forth between Nettlebrand and his attempts to find our heroes and their path forward, um, which was Sometimes good. Sometimes I was like, oh, God, Nettlebrand is depressing me. Yeah, um, he's just such a bummer. He's very dark. And there's just so much abuse there. He yeah. has a dwarf that he forced to be his armor cleaner now, Gravelbeard, because Twigleg has gone away. And Twigleg is constantly checking in with him. So it does provide a lot of tension because we're getting Twigleg's reports. Um, and we're seeing that the heroes are being thwarted because Nettlebrand is on their scent um, but eventually Twigleg decides that he is not going to continue giving truthful reports to Nettlebrand yeah. and he tells him to go to the desert and that that's where the rim of heaven is, um, to send him off course. And he almost perishes in the desert, but manages to make it out. He gets bewitched by some sand people. Yeah. Yeah. That was wild. <laughs> they were creepy. Yeah. Um, just appearing and whispering if he wanted water. Like, yeah. Very, very creepy. Brendan Fraser's voice for them in particular was great. It was very <laughs> spooky. Um, they're also being the good guys are being tracked by ravens that are enchanted crabs <laughs> that metal yes. brand has created as his army. I did appreciate that the, uh, Corvids in this book are not actually evil. They are enchanted crabs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> crabs are evil. I think they're lobsters actually. Uh, they say crabs, but maybe they're different maybe they're lobsters sea creatures crabs, yeah. because Nettlebrand um, is very water focused. That's true. Because he's a toad, which yeah. we, we learned at the end. Yeah. Um, he can't fly, but he can travel through water it's from one place to another. With it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the ravens are also sending reports back to Nettlebrand. So even after Twigleg defects, they can still um, be accidentally giving themselves away with everything mm -hmm. they're doing. So he's continuing to track them to the rim of heaven. Um, they meet up with a dragon expert named, sorry about this pronunciation, Zubaida Galib. Um, and she tells them a little bit more about how Fire Drake might be able to fly even without moonlight and gives him some moon juice. Yeah, she's been doing... <laughs> Flower a, moon juice. She's been making science. And with the That's science, right. uh, she did a potion that can replace moonlight for dragons. That's right. Science, baby. Um, which is helpful because they've run into problems with... Uh, 
a night where there was an eclipse. Yeah, it was a surprise eclipse. And also on the new moonlight nights, they're like, what are we going to do? See, if this is the thing... They also were with a sea serpent for a while, but we skipped the sea serpent. This this is a, another thing about dragons that I found interesting in this, too, is they're like not very learned. They're They're pretty innocent. Like, they're not very wise. I think... Yeah, I think part of it is the breakdown in their society. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that they've been almost driven to extinction. Yeah, but it, I, I was just like, why aren't you keeping track of the moon cycles? Like, that is something that you are definitely able to do. Yeah, because Fire Drake has never really traveled far and wide before. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. lived in that valley in Scotland. That's um, true. And the sea serpent really took on more of a stereotypical dragon role yes and was you know telling ben all the great stories mm-hmm. um from long past and had a lot of information about how Nettlebrand um attempted to kill a fire drake's people as well yeah um which seems like it's something fire drake should know yeah it, it does seem like the dragons are withdrawing to the point that you know his Valley, his settlement would also end up turning into stone dragons, the yeah. way the ones in the cave yeah. in the room of heaven do. It seems do. like it. Um, yeah, th- I liked the sea serpent. That was a cool character. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, you know, at that point, they head to the Himalayas, which is where the rim of heaven is. Um, you know, there's all kinds of hijinks. <laughs> they meet a rat flying a plane. <laughs> Lola. Very rescuers down under. Yeah, very rescuers down under. Um, she is, and that part was what took me right to the Hermic's Tantamok book because uh, yeah, books, because one of the definitely. main characters is a mouse who flies a plane. Um, and she helps them out in a variety of ways. Um, and when they reach the Rim of Heaven, they see that it has a giant lake filling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh no, this means that Nettlebrand can get here. Right. Um, and so they realize after trying to figure out plans and Twigleg being a double agent, <laughs> switching back and forth, that brownie spit combined with dragon fire will melt Nettlebrand's scales. Go figure. Um, so they trick Gravelbeard into polishing Nettlebeard's armor. Nettlebrand's armor. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm Nettlebeard. Trying, trying, trying to put beard into everyone's name. I'm going to get another cat and name it Nettlebeard. <laughs> um, they trick Gravelbeard into polishing the armor with spittle, brownie spittle, and then breathe fire all over Nettlebrand. Yeah. And he melts away. His armor is destroyed and out pops a little toad. And it doesn't even know what the heck was going oh, on. Oh, yeah. It's just like... And in the end, everyone has a new family to be with. Ben decides that he's going to go and live with Barnabas and his daughter and wife. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorrel has a new friend in the other mountain brownie that they met at the monastery that they went to Mm -hmm. in order to figure out how to get to the room of heaven who guided them there. Also part of the prophecy. Um, and Fire Drake has decided to go back with one of the new dragons that he met in the Rim of Heaven cavern, Maya, mm. to can try to convince his family to come on out. Yeah, and I like how it's just like we don't even know if this is going to work. Like these these guys are well on their way to turning stone as well, but they're going to try. Yeah, 
And this is just the first book in a series, although the second one just came out um, a few years ago. And Mm. there are plans for a third book. The second book is called A Griffin's Feather, and it came out in 2017. Um, What did the the, um, archaeologist say? Did he say like, oh, we're we're studying Griffin flight next or something? No, he said Pegasus. They're looking for Pegasus. Um, so I'm sure Barnabas is involved. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's set, uh, a few years after the first book. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think that was enough. That was a great spot. Yeah, that was a very I good job. Like I skipped some things. Well, we need but to just get it yeah, out there. As we said, it is a long book. Yeah. Um, so, we have not read this book before, but we'll we'll throw out some uh, impressions yeah. and compare it to some of the other fantasy books that we've covered. Um, I loved getting to hang out with a bunch of dragons. Yeah, there were so many dragons in this um, book. Well, I mean, there was one prominent dragon through most of it. And, <laughs> and then, then there was other... Book like, ending. <laughs> beginning yeah, and end. yeah. Um, I, and also seeing dragons really interact with a wide range of other fantasy races was really cool because they're so often solitary creatures. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, like you said, being wise, doing their own thing, like living in their treasure troves or their libraries Mm -hmm. and kind of minding their own business to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, And I like seeing the... uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The type of symbiotic relationship between Sorrel and Fire Drake. Between and the dragons brownies and their brownies. And dragons yeah. in general, because brownies soothe dragons and help them sleep and they sing them little songs. It's very cute. Yeah, it's really cute. <laughs> um, and that there was this sort of special group of brownies living in one of the temples at the monastery Mm -hmm. that were there to help guide dragons um, to the rim of heaven. Right. Um, But they had gotten really frustrated with them and kind of given up on them because the dragons just stayed in the cavern and turned to stone and forgot everything about that. That's again, like it's really interesting the reverence with which the world uh, um, Mm -hmm. like most forces consider dragons to be just like amazing. It's like unicorns kind of Mm -hmm. um, where they're just this force of like positive energy and good and people are very reverent with them. And then at the same time, the dragons are like, yeah, dying out in a, were you going to say they're not worth the reverence? No, no, I wasn't going to say they weren't worth the reverence. I was just again going to say like, they're not very good at looking out for themselves. Yeah, and it's interesting that they each kind of need a smaller creature, even for like basic physical tasks. Right. Like Nettlebrand needs someone to perform his hygiene for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And Nettlebrand isn't really a true dragon anyway, but it's similar to the other relationships that the dragons well, have. Well, yeah, because Fire Drake needs uh, um, Sorrel to uh, like just be around and keep track of him and make sure he doesn't fly too long or not right. get enough make energy sure he or. Yeah. Yeah. It gets exposed to moonlight. Um, yeah. And kind of keep his spirits up. And I also appreciated that the brownies are like inherently sarcastic and kind of mean. Yeah. And it's funny that they're 
like the soothing creature. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's a well-built symbiotic relationship, mm-hmm. I think. It like it makes sense. And there was a little story at the end of my ebook um <laughs> that was about how Sorrel and Fire Drake met each oh. other, um which was just like How so- did they meet? Sorrel went to a farm that had uh, cultivated a bunch of fancy mushrooms to try to take some and sure. a big dog started chasing her. Mm, okay. <laughs> and then Fire Drake appeared and saved her from the dog. Yep. <laughs> and she went to live with them. That tracks. <laughs> um yeah, so I liked I liked this version of dragons, but like like we've been saying, it is a it's an interesting a unique one. one. Yeah. Um and yeah, and sad, <laughs> um, mournful. I, yeah. I hope that they are finding a way to regain some of their connection to their long and storied history. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fascinating. I mean, it makes sense that Nettle Brand would drive them to such fear that they it's would scary. just hide away because he exists to kill them. And he's and also a construct. Like, he's not of the natural world. He's, exactly. he's evil magic. No, exactly. And if there were, you know, only like 40 of you and there was one creature that existed to eradicate you, I would be in trouble for those 40 Madelines. Yeah, I'd be worried. We would probably also live in a cave. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't pick a cave. I'm extremely claustrophobic. Well, it sounded like a pretty big cave, you know. And as Gravelbeard said, very beautiful. The uh, beard is an unhealthy dwarf. The the way that uh, Brendan Fraser did Gravel Beard was also incredible. Like I don't know what his lines looked like, but Brendan Fraser delivered all of them as if uh, Gravel Beard were just like angrily mumbling to himself, <laughs> um, and that was really fun. Um, yeah, so I I liked that component of it. I also love any book in which magic is existing on the fringes of a human society that looks similar to ours. Um, Because, you know, it just brings up all those little hopes that you might be walking through a forest one day and out of the corner of your eyes see something interesting. And it's great for kids. It helps cultivate that feeling. Yeah. And a hope for magic in the world, which as we've talked about before, can sometimes take you to an unhealthy level of attempted escapism, but in appropriate doses, I think is very helpful and just helping you have like a bit of cheer on a day to day basis. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and it fits well into the other quarantine books that we've read of like all the hopes of a big adventure where one here, they're literally crossing dozens of countries and we can kind of track their path because mm-hmm. it's in our world. Yeah. And I just wish that a rat would give me a map like this. Come on. That map sounded so amazing. It's if I so had cool. read this as a kid, I think, I mean, I was we already tried to make a map like that. I yes. feel like, yes, I was already into maps, um, but I wasn't into maps enough to be like trying to make that many of my own. I feel like this uh, is like trying to get kids to be just little miniature fantasy cartographers which is great it's a great way to exercise your creativity yeah it really is i loved the idea of little folding flaps revealing yes. inset close-ups of different sections that rat was just awesome i i um, very so many other rats doing his bidding like he has explorers and right. cartographers yeah that rat is running uh a incredibly complex cartography like exploration industry and um, he lives in a room full of junk. 
does. Yep. He does. I was always very impressed when they entered. I, so I know the maps were helpful, but the blind confidence with which the heroes would be approaching oh, yeah. a vast area and be like, okay, we know that the dragon expert lives somewhere in this relative region and yeah. we're going to find her or beyond that, finding the rat in the first place on the advice that he lives in a warehouse in the docks. It's just like, come on. I'm terrified if I have to go to like a building that I haven't been to before. And I have a GPS on my phone. I don't like to go to the post the office. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It frightens me. It is scary. Um, and they have a dragon that they have to hide and they're being tracked by Nettlebrand. Um, yeah. And yet they just keep going. They're like, yeah, we'll figure it out when we get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I was feeling very nervous about them ending up in the Himalayas because I was like, it's going to be very cold. It's right. going to be very snowy. Yeah. It's going to be very dangerous. And you don't know where the dragons are. Exactly. It was stressing me out. And th- to be fair, there were some other adults in the book who would talk to them <laughs> when Ben and Fire Dragon and Sora will be like, yeah, we're, it's in the Himalayas. We'll find it. And they're like, the Himalayas are very big. Yeah. They're like, no, we'll find it eventually. And they're like, no, <laughs> no, you will die in the mountains. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, please. And I, I think that's part of why it reminded me of um, this book would be a great video game. Uh, like, I don't think it's made to be made into a movie. I think it's made to be a video game. Like, that's the kind of story that it tells, especially um, if anyone has ever played any of the Icewind Dale or, like, uh, what's it called? Planescape Torment, uh, those old Baldur's Gate universe mm-hmm. games. It Because there's this really long chain of events, like, you have to do this to do this, and you have to do this to do this, and then it from point A to point Z, you, you have all these tasks that you did and then at the end you get to kill the gold dragon construct or whatever you know like it seemed very very similar uh structured like story-wise to a lot of video games that i played because you need to fill up the space in the video game with more meaningful tasks Mm -hmm. so you have that whole chain of quests you know yeah that's really cool yeah i agree that's what it that's what it made me think of Mm -hmm. um and then also there was this (laughs) series called um I think it was the Deltora Chronicles or the Chronicles of Deltora. If anyone ever read, it was very much for children. Like each book was, was pretty thin, um, but there were like 10 of them and it was an episodic quest towards getting the jewels so they could defeat the big bad. Deltora quests. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Oh yes, this is familiar. Yeah. We had them all around the house and they're, yeah, I never read them. I think I was too old. They're they were a lot more um violent than this book is. Like they were they got really gruesome. There was a lot of like fear of being eaten, which for some reason comes up so much in the media that we make for children. Um <laughs> There's a lot of it in this book too. Yeah. But in this book no one dies except right. for the bad guy who right. doesn't even die because right. he just gets dispelled lives on. Yeah. Um, but Del Toro was much more like brutal. Um, but they actually had like in text puzzles, like it would be like, Mm. okay, we have to figure out the maze or do this word puzzle or whatever. And 
it was it was super fun for a kid because That's it really fun. made you feel like you were in the work. And then they used a lot of fantasy and sci-fi tropes that already were very well established, but they kind of redid them for a younger audience. Cool. Um, anyways, this book reminded me of that in a, a couple different ways. Yeah, and something else that was interesting about this book to me um, is how clearly the... Uh, lines were drawn between the good guys and mm. the bad guys. Yeah, very, um, very clear delineation delineations. Yeah, there's really one source of evil and it's from this, you know, tormented creature who was created by an unknown alchemist. And the alchemist is already dead. And the alchemist is dead. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, some other baddies that pop up like the basilisk is very scary mm. to be fair. Yeah. Um, but thankfully is dispensed with very quickly. And yeah, everything is wrapped up so neatly at the end. Everyone has like a loved one. The orphan is no longer an orphan. I wonder what it is with Cornelia Funka and orphans. Um, but both the Floored and Dragon Rider have true. like similar orphan themes, <laughs> orphan <laughs> stories. Well, yeah. orphans are, I mean, if you think about it, you don't have to deal with a lot that comes with you know like all the baggage of a family there's a reason why link is usually an orphan and it's because yeah. it's much easier to set up a mysterious like mm -hmm. hero tale that way you know right and he has some maybe some sort of lineage connecting him to the dragon rider of right old. yeah and i'm interested in seeing it which well, I'm sure is explored in the following book. Yeah, I, I kind of well, want to read. there's only one so far, but... I, I want to read the follow-ups to see. Because they also talked about with... Um, I was worried that Twigleg was going to die. Because they talk Me a little too. bit about how if he gives his heart to a human, then... That he won't be immortal. So maybe he's going to turn into a real boy. Twigleg? Yeah. But he's not made from a child. Right, but maybe if he gives his heart to a mm. human, then like, because there just seems like there was definitely some foreshadowing set up there where Twigleg is going to change, and I thought that he was going to die at the end, and I was glad that he didn't. It was nice to have a redemption story where the person doesn't have to die in penance. Totally. You know? <laughs> and Twigleg is easily the most complex part of the book. Yes. Um, yeah, Twigleg was great. He's a really cool character. I was surprised. Like, I thought that his arc was going to be super predictable, and yet yeah. I was constantly surprised by him. And even though I found him to be, like, a... Uh, I don't know. I thought of him as kind of a... Um, what's it? Salacious Crumb. You know, that little Muppet yeah. thing that hangs out with Jabba? And like, Star that's Wars. what I thought he was at the very beginning. And then yeah. he gets more and more and more developed until you're totally on his side. Well, and he has some incredible moments because he's so traumatized. Yeah. I mean, he says that it's been 300 years that he's been serving him, you know, putting up with a nonstop abuse and right. threats. He watched him eat all of his 11 And then brothers. sometimes he eats and then barfs twig leg back sometimes up. Sometimes he swallows twig yeah. leg, which we see him do to gravel beard later. Yeah. Um, and, Twigleg is the only one of his servants to actively defect. Right. Um, and, you know, granted, it's because he's gotten away and is safe already. I mean, and but Gravelbeard has, like, issues. Like, his friends at the very beginning say, like, oh, he's, like, not 
all there. Yeah, and he's overly obsessed with gold and right. Um, so Gravelbeer clearly has like cognitive deficiencies. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> and in the end, his greatest wish is to be left alone in a cavern forever. <laughs> Which I was happy that they gave him that because yeah. he also, especially due to the fact that he's clearly disabled, like he didn't deserve to go down with the bad guy because yeah. he's just trying to fulfill his wish to be around like shiny rocks yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and he and he gets that and he's in one of the most wonderful caverns full of shiny rocks in that exists the world yeah um and he saves the other dragons who have turned into stones by expertly breaking them out of their stone husks um but yeah twigleg also he goes from being so trauma traumatized so terrified mm-hmm. um to the point that he is visibly shaking when even nettlebrand's name comes up to being so full of might and excitement yeah. that he is leaping out during the final battle saying, this is my revenge, Yeah, <laughs> um, which almost ruins the whole plan because they can't burn up Nettlebrand when right. Twigleg is on him. Um, and I loved so much when uh, um, Twigleg is like revealing who he really is to them and he tells them like, like, Ben was nice to me. No one's yeah. ever been nice to me in my entire life. And he was nice to me. And I I thought that was a wonderful lesson, like really clear and simple and plain to be like, look, people, if you're just nice to people, if you don't treat people like they're less than you, they will surprise you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think too, um, Sorrel is kind of a nice like Oscar the Grouch style character where there's this antagonist that is still fundamentally good but Mm -hmm. exists to like teach kids how to stand up for themselves and also that there are very many different types of people in the world and like Mm. we're all going to be living together somewhat harmoniously Um, and Sorrel and Twigleg are you know an interesting source of tension throughout the book because she is so mean to him Um, but he gives back what he gets. And at first she is right. He is a, a spy he for a spy. the for the evil. Yeah. Like she is correct. Yes. But then they I also really appreciated, like I felt there was great warmth as their relationship developed because mm-hmm. the 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 ribbing that she was giving him by the end was like joking and Mm -hmm. friendly Mm -hmm. instead of her being like, you're terrible. Go away. I hate you. (laughs) Totally. I also, I feel like in thinking about the dragons, the sea serpent kind of represented more Eastern style dragons, whereas fire Drake and and the Naya and the other dragons in the rim of heaven were more Westernized. Um, But then, yeah, especially because that dragon was more, um, wise, which is much more of an Eastern dragon thing right. of them being like these really um, ancient and wise spirits versus mm-hmm. Western dragons. Uh, like more often they just want to be left alone. Yeah. Or they were evil. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting too to track the human attitudes toward the dragons as they travel from the West to the East. Also true. There's um, more reverence in the East. And they are, you know, literally in a monastery. So like they're with people who are going to be pretty chill pretty about reverent. them no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they are then, you know, discussed as a source of luck instead of being seen as something that maybe humans couldn't even comprehend. I mean, it's, it's 
oh, we, we have a wide range of dragons. Yeah, exactly. Mm. We have a wide range of human attitudes toward dragons that are seen throughout the book. Which is um, also interesting. And we never have a moment. Well, we only have one moment when Fire Drake chooses to show himself to to cops or builders or we're not sure people who are trying to find Ben when he runs into the factory as it's going to be torn down right um and he purposely terrifies them and they're just like whoa 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 whoa, a dragon yeah which is great (laughs) they just kind of blubber and are like whoa (laughs) yeah which is probably what I would do I don't know it's yeah it, it it's I think it's also a little melancholy finishing the book and being like oh well this is the world I live in, but I'm stuck in the human part. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get to be a dragon rider or be yeah. a brownie or right. a hum- um, homunculus thingy. They call him so many different yeah. names throughout the book. <laughs> um, but I'm still happy to have taken the journey. Yeah. We're going to respectfully skip animals, just oh, like animals, so in this animals in this book, um, because they are all the main characters, and I already feel bad for referring to Sorrel as an animal. She would be calling me a number of poisonous mushroom names right now. Yeah, <laughs> festering here. puff lump. And we've really covered the magic system as well. Um, yeah. I, I love that it is just simmering below the surface, and I hope that when I go on my walk today, maybe I'll see... A brownie in Interlochen Park. I've been seeing a lot of cool birds lately. I have seen some very strange rodents recently, so maybe one of them was a brownie. Seen a lot of dead rats. Hopefully none of them was a brownie. (laughs) It's been hot. You get dead rats in the city when it's hot. That's true. Let's move on to pretend food. Pretend food. A.K.A. pretend mushrooms, because that's what this book is about yeah real mushrooms mushrooms and spit (laughs) (laughs) alternate title (laughs) i do i I really like that um it's a big part of brownie communication to use the names of mushrooms Mm Both in positive and negative connotations. Right, yeah. Um, and yeah, just as asides, I mean, their lives are and their language are built around mushrooms. Yeah. And I respect it. Yeah. Um, as a former vegetarian and someone who is, I, w- I would call myself a mushroom lover, um, I definitely, it resonated with me whenever Sorrel was discovering some new mushroom um, but she can only forage she doesn't know how to cultivate her own mushrooms although she's going to learn how at the yeah, end which is yeah. very exciting Madeline has a fraught history with mushrooms sadly. I really used to love them a lot um, like even when I was picky as a child I would still eat mushrooms because I've I still like have fond memories of the taste of them. Mushroom memories. Yeah. Um, but around the time when I went through puberty, my hereditary um, mushroom intolerance hit. My mom's family, not my mom, my mom can eat mushrooms, but she has several family members who are horribly, horribly allergic to mushrooms. It's not anaphylactic. It is um, gastrointestinal and nothing... For me, nothing happens other than I'm in excruciating stomach pain for about four plus hours. Um, And uh, there's not really anything I can do. Uh, I have some like 
meds that I can take that are supposed to keep your muscles from clenching because apparently that's what's causing the pain. But it really makes me feel like I've eaten glass. Um, oh. That's that's what I usually say is it just feels like there's yeah. shards of glass in my guts, uh, which is a bummer. Not it's nice. a bummer. I, there are many worse medical problems to have. This is just my burden to bear. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. And if anyone else has a strong mushroom intolerance, reach out. Maybe we can get a community going. Yeah. It's really weird. People, cause people ask me like, oh, is it like you'll, your throat will close up and they, you know, you can't breathe or anything. And it's like, no, it won't kill me. So I appreciate that. It just, it's, won't be fun for anyone, <laughs> for anyone near me. Having weathered many a night with Madeline post mushroom yeah. consumption. I it's can agree. Good. It's not nice. No. But the mushrooms in this book are. <laughs> yeah, the mushrooms in this book are lovely. Some of the mushrooms that Sorrel enjoys are oyster mushrooms, mm-hmm. horn of plenty, shiitakes, which she Matsutake. has never had before. Right? Do they say Matsutake or is that just me playing Harvest Moon? Uh, they do say that at one point, but okay. shiitakes are what the um, the monastery brownie offers. Cheap Chi Berber, whatever his name is. I can't remember right now. Um Offers to Sorrel, and at first she's being very mistrustful of him, and then she eats it, and she's like, "Wee, I love it!" <laughs> and um, yeah, I really want to do like a mushroom egg scramble very soon. Now, um, Bolitus—I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly—is another oh, mushroom yeah. that they get very excited about. Um, and some of my one of my fa- probably my favorite uh, mushroom exclamations is when uh, Swirl says "Girolles, chanterelles, morels." <laughs> she just is so beautifully uh, articulate yeah. when it comes to mushrooms, yeah. um, and she helps uh, turn that into power when they drive away the sand elves with a group of insults, <laughs> rhyming insults, indeed. <laughs> Um, but she also eats non-mushroom foods, uh, when she's feeling seasick or airsick rather from flying, she just kind of eats grass or leaves or whatever is around her. She's like my dog. Exactly. (laughs) Just like pig. Um, but it's super funny every time she lands on the ground and the narration just says she stuffs some grass into her mouth and which just the picture of like what I was viewing as a sloth crouched down being like grass leaves I I honestly (laughs) empathize with that so hard I have a couple of intolerances besides mushrooms um none of them are stomach problems (laughs) it's your favorite to talk about things Madeline can and won't eat yeah (laughs) um and I have a collection of other intolerances. <laughs> I actually have an abundance of uh, other food intolerances. None of them are as serious as the mushroom issue. So when I'm in a place that is foreign to me, one of my first impulses is, okay, I got to nail down where's my food coming from and when can I eat it? Like that's one of my first thoughts when I get in an airport, even if I'm not hungry, that like I'll right away go and buy a protein bar or like a little cup of fruit or something mm-hmm. and put it in my bag or something. Like I just, I want to have some food squirreled away. My mom sent me a picture just the other day of her hand after she put it in the pocket of my raincoat, which I left at her house just full of like crumbles of granola and peanuts like just loose in that there wasn't for you though that was that was crows. for crows that was for crows but, obviously but that granola bar had originally been purchased for myself to consume and then i dropped it on the ground and then i was like okay now it's for crows 
And then I put it back in my pocket. <laughs> I I also have a habit of yeah. um, having Squirling s- away. scraps with yeah. me because one of my food problems <laughs> is that I very easily get low blood sugar, like very, very badly. Because I'm getting um, really weak, so I have to sit down or maybe I'm going to faint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but not anyone who knows me has been on a been on a walk or something with me at one point, and I've been like, I need food. Give me a snack. Okay, other than mushrooms, there is some really delicious sounding chickpea soup. Oh yeah, that Barnabas makes for the group in the Basilisk Cave. Um, he builds a little dragon fire uh, with some flame from fire drake um and puts a pan on it and heats up chickpea soup with fresh mint which everyone enjoys even sorrel um who self-professes that she is not a fan of human food i thought you meant that like everyone in the world and i was gonna be like i don't like mint in my savory foods grace I also, um, yeah, just don't fancy mint. I don't enjoy cilantro or parsley either. Oh my God. (laughs) Just make my own podcast where I talk about my food problems. (sighs) Um, And I want to make that now. I tried looking it up and I think it's like a Moroccan style dish, which would make sense because they were in Egypt at that point. Um, so in the relative region, um, and then there's some bad soup later on that Lola makes on the mountaintop. (laughs) She says, Oh man, I put way too much salt in it. (laughs) (laughs) And I really appreciate it whenever I'm reading a book and someone messes up food instead of it being like, yay, dubious food. Yes. They get get a dubious dubious food. food. I accidentally made some the other day in Breath of the Wild. (laughs) Oh, in real life. No, I've made... Grace is a great cook. I've made plenty of dubious food along the way, though. Not these days, you, though. You gotta do it to get there. Yeah. Once we made about 50 pounds of noodles that were so spicy that no human being could eat them. Yeah, I've been I've been spiced out of a couple of meals. <laughs> um, they also, at the feast in the town where the dragon, dragon expert lives... Um, have rice that is flavored with raisins and sweet almonds oh, and yeah. delicious spices that Maybe Sorrel also rice enjoys. Um, and then at the monastery, they are alerted that breakfast will be sampa, roasted barley flour, and hot tea with butter. It's very healthy and good for you at these altitudes, but you might not like it very much when you first taste it. Um, so it's like bulletproof right, coffee. Right. I think it's something similar. And they take a thermos with them that they use to warm up when they're getting dangerously cold um, while they're and in the And then the mountains. butter is for calories. Right. Exactly. I, I don't know what Sampa is. Do you think it has like ghee in it? Like clarified butter? Probably. They're Some kind Tibet. of ghee or something. More similar to ghee than like... What it's probably made butter, from maybe. yak's milk yeah. based on the what they talked about, the yak droppings. I know I've, there are yaks nearby. It's probably just because I haven't, I've been so lazy about it that I haven't looked up how to do it on the internet, but I've tried to make bulletproof coffee before and it, it did not work. I don't know how you make the butter get in there. It just floats on the top. <laughs> I don't know. Another one of my food problems. I can't have caffeine, so I don't know anything about coffee to be honest. 
What a fun episode. This is so great. <laughs> Everyone loves it. We're going to get our first one star review. <laughs> this is just two women talking about the things that they can't eat. <laughs> Oh, we come from a family of tummy trubs. Yeah. Um, tummy trubs. So Sampa is a Tibetan and Himalayan staple. Um, it is roasted flour, usually barley flour, and is usually mixed with the butter tea. Um, so it looks kind of porridgey. Um, hmm. And yep, yeah, it's yak butter tea. I was right. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it's like basically a, a bowl of porridge sounds um, good but yeah Only very caffeinated. healthy and good for you as as they said as barnabas said cool um and i appreciate it uh, getting some authentic foods and uh, then they have some chapati that the dragon expert sends along with them i'm nervous about how i pronounced her name so i'm just calling her the dragon <laughs> expert at Chip- this point chapati yeah it's an indian flatbread Oh, I, I thought that he was trying to as, say ciabatta. I think it's the same as roti. Oh, okay. Got it. And that's it for food. Badass lady meter. Not a lot of women in this book. I didn't like that when they meet Maya, she's referred to as a she dragon. <laughs> I would yeah. think that she could just be called a dragon. Right. No, <laughs> it totally. It's like, dragon. okay, well... German is a gendered language. Yeah. Um, so yeah. maybe it has something to do with yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. We don't need any more um, disparate terms to refer to like people of different genders. Like, yeah, let's, can, let's just step use away one term binary, for everyone under that umbrella and not gender it. Like, that's really the simplest way to go. Um, I, I think my baddest lady is going to be Sorrel. Yeah, Sorrel is so cool. Yeah, I like Sorrel a lot. I think she'd keep me honest if she were around. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Sorrel doesn't put up with nonsense. Yeah, and I but appreciate that. But she's still that. fun. She's yeah. not like a she's still fallible to be around. Yeah. Um, and even though she is very sassy, I don't know. Maybe Sorrel reminds me of my partner. <laughs> maybe oh my gosh. Out of everyone in this book, she is the most Josiah yeah, similar. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, Josiah's a totally mushrooms. a sorrel. <laughs> and eating grass. <laughs> uh, what's your rating for sorrel? My rating for sorrel is uh, a whole plateful of incredibly expensive truffles that she gets. No one else gets. She can do whatever she wants with them. Oh, boy. Yum, 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 yum. So it's a reward. I'm rewarding her. My badass lady. So I do want to give a shout out to Maya, the only dragon left alive in the realm of heaven. Sounds seems kind of brutal. Pretty dark. Yeah. Um, as she watched everyone turn to stone and has been completely alone for God knows how long. Um but we don't really learn very much about her as we, you know, similar to how we don't learn too much about any one character mm. <laughs> to be honest yeah um but i think there's just there's just so much so much on. to cover yeah and because it's really i feel like it's really more of an adventure book than a lore building right book. it's more of an action adventure mm-hmm. it felt that's why it's such a romp 
Exactly. Yeah. So we're very much in the moment and we do learn some things from like the professor or from his book that they re- are reading and passing as they continue to travel um, or from Zubaida. Yeah, we get bits and pieces here and there, but but we don't really don't really mm-hmm. know too much about the characters themselves. Um, but I think I'm going to give my Battle's Lady Meter rating to Guinevere, who mm. is Professor Barnabas's daughter yeah. and who sees Nettlebrand oh gosh, following no them believes her. and no one will listen to her. And she describes him down to the last possible detail, including the very weird fact that a dwarf is sitting on his horn. <laughs> like, you don't that's not something you make up and she when her dad very condescendingly says oh i've been telling you too many stories about magical creatures she's like you've been telling me that my entire life i live with you and mom who are two goofballs (laughs) and super nerds about this stuff have i ever made up stories before no okay um but even though that fact could have given them a lot of helpful information. Uh, she she holds true, even though everyone keeps doubting her, and she insists that she did see him. And then, yes, he turns up, and everyone's like, "Oops, sorry, going over here." And I I really respect um, that. I mean, when I was little, if I came up with something and everyone was like, "No, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong," then I would have been like, totally. "Okay, I'm wrong." Well, but she doesn't, and I appreciate right. that. And that's the scary thing about being a kid and people don't believe can happen you. in a lot of different ways where you're yeah. and you can also just be forced to rethink whatever it is that you yeah, it's brainwashing that you know yeah um yeah but but guinevere won't stand for it and you know it is just like a very cute family it is <laughs> it really is guinevere. it's a dream family that's created like four lonely children i know and it's you know it's predictable in that they pretty quickly are like ben want to come live with us forever you, you'll be in our family <laughs> in our family yeah it's still sweet it, and it's the book very much had the feeling of like everyone gets married at the end but it's not marriages that are right happening. so it's it didn't annoy me right being built and for me i didn't i wasn't a kid that wanted to like my own family especially because I was so close with you and Patrick growing up like I wasn't lonely Mm -hmm. so stuff like this wouldn't really appeal to me but Mm -hmm. I can see how for kids that are super lonely it's extremely appealing so my rating for Guinevere is everyone else turning around at the moment that Nettlebrand was in the river and seeing him too freaking giant golden horror (laughs) with a dwarf on his horn I mean and I get why this was adapted into a movie because the visuals are just too great um but i i totally agree that a video game is the better vehicle i i also thought that i don't know i've had artemis fall on the brain because we did an episode on that not too long ago and then that horrible sounding movie came out did um, it come out yet we, yeah the movie, i think yeah, they released right, it right, on right. video because sorry it did the roni mm-hmm. yeah um yeah it's on disney plus I'm yeah pretty sure i saw yeah. some scathing feedback about it yeah um sounds bad not that we expected it to be good after we saw the trailers and mulch diggums is like always a polarizing character i think even myself like i either love him or hate him but i liked i was more convinced by uh gravel beard's character than i have been by mulch diggums character like as the dwarf representative (laughs) yeah (laughs) who's your favorite dwarf let (sighs) us know 
<laughs> like Gra- Gravelbeard just seemed more real and it made sense how fast he was willing to switch allegiances like throughout the book because he like the only thing he really cares about is just like shiny things. Well, he is outside of any of these societies that he is interacting with. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Nettlebrand doesn't even have his own He's not a people. A, right. He doesn't have a species. Yeah. He exists solely to hunt, yeah. which yikes. Well, now that he got turned back into a toad, he can go find his. I toad know. Homies. I hope he can have a good toad life. Yeah. If he deserves it. Well, I mean, it, it, that's part of the thing about Nettlebrand too, is that he was made that way. He, does, he didn't choose to be bad. I know, but he single-handedly almost wiped out dragons. No, exactly, which is why I think that he deserves to have a nice, normal toad life. Metal brand apologist. <laughs> not an here. apologist. A nice, normal toad life is not by most other Nettle existing brand had metrics. some good ideas, okay? Oh my gosh, this isn't a Bane situation. <laughs> All right, this has been a goofy and free-flowing episode, so let's end it here. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again, Debbie, for requesting this book. I had a really good time reading it. Um, And diving into Cornelia Funke's work has been awesome. Super fun. We should cover Inkheart next because I did read those books. Um, And the cover is very compelling to me. Looking back at it, I had one of those rushes of, whoa, I'd forgotten all about this. The next book we are going to cover is The Little White Horse by Elizabeth Gouge. An older book. Elizabeth Gouge. Maybe I'm mispronouncing it. That's metal. I might be mispronouncing it because it's G-O-U-D. GE. Been requested by many different listeners. Come back for that in a couple weeks. You can find us on the internet at dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Farewell. <laughs>